Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshaw.net. The Forum for Patronage and Pluralism, 10 years on. When it comes to Irish people, we have a very odd relationship with the Catholic Church. I've often told the story on this podcast about an acquaintance of mine who vigorously campaigned for marriage equality in Ireland. She went door to door to her neighbours, handing out leaflets as to why they should vote in favour of marriage equality. She wore love is love and yes to equality badges everywhere she went. And because the Catholic Church were against the idea that marriage should be between anyone other than a man and a woman, she spent an inordinate amount of time on her Facebook, uh, not um, not only criticising the Catholic Church, but slamming it, slamming that patriarchy, uh, highlighting its history of sexual abuses against children, admonishing any priest who appeared in the media, see how angry I'm sounding, to explain the Church's stance in the most demeaning of language which I can only call hatred. That's the only word I can use for how she was reacting to the Catholic Church. On the 23rd of May 2015, when the result of the marriage equality referendum became very clear very early, she celebrated with the same ecstasy as if we had tumbled an authoritarian dictatorship as half the country descended onto Dublin Castle in rainbow flags to display the huge relief that Ireland had, without doubt, ripped away its past under the control of a theocratic regime. And she joined in the angry celebrations. I think they were angry celebrations when she let everyone know that what she thought of that patriarchy. The next evening, I was scrolling through Facebook and I'd noticed that she'd shared some photos. One of them was her standing with her daughter. The daughter was wearing a communion dress and they were at the altar in a Catholic church. I'm sure you have similar stories of your atheist brother baptising his kid just in case, or your repeal jumper wearing sister giving her daughter the choice, in inverted commas, as to whether she'd like to make her communion or not. And in almost all cases, it has something to do with the education system. In this episode or series of episodes, I'm going to explore the pluralism or the patronage and pluralism forum 10 years to the day after it was published on the 10th of April uh, 2012 and why it has ultimately failed. Hello, hello, you are very welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshaw.net. This is Simon Lewis speaking and uh, you are very welcome for my celebration of the 10 year anniversary of the Patronage and Pluralism Forum because I presume if you were living under a rock uh, 10 years ago, you might have uh, moved into this rock and you might have been crawling from under it. And I'm sure you probably expected the Irish education system to be completely transformed away from being controlled by a particular denominational body. (sighs) Yes. The fact that 96% 
of primary schools in Ireland are under denominational patronage is unique among developed countries. So started the report of the Forum on Patronage and Pluralism in April 2012, 10 years ago to this day when I'm recording this podcast. It was set up by the Minister for Education at the time, Rory Quinn, who was very open about Ireland moving away from a religiously controlled primary education system. For those of you who are not in the know, 96% of primary schools in Ireland in 2012 were controlled by either the Catholic Church or Protestant, Protestant churches, with three other schools controlled by the Muslim and Jewish communities respectively. Given that Ireland has gone through huge social changes since the forum was set up, and given that Ireland overwhelmingly voted in favour of marriage equality and abortion rights for women, and given that the Catholic Church authorities themselves are in favour of greater diversity in the education landscape, many of you might think, with the exception of education patrons such as Educate Together and Community National Schools, that the landscape is vastly changed. In 10 years, we have moved from 96% of schools under religious control to, drumroll, how many, 10 years, 95%. The Forum for Patronage and Pluralism report is a very, very long one of about 170 odd pages. And don't worry, I'm not going to be going through them all in much detail. Ultimately, my goal over the next uh, few uh, kind of parts of this episode, because it's probably going to be long enough, how do you sum up 10 years in half an hour? I don't think you can. So uh, today I will be focusing a bit on the idea of choice. Not something new to this podcast, but I want to really explore choice today. And I want to explain why I'm in, in overall, why I'm not surprised that this forum for patronage and pluralism was a complete failure. And I'm not being um, impolite when I say a complete failure. And I'm sure if um, the authors uh, were here today, all of them, I know one of them has p- uh, passed on, um, I would assume uh, they would agree it has been a complete failure. And I want to explore some key moments in the last 10 years. And I want to try and come up really at the end of this series of my own recommendations if we were to have another patronage and pluralism forum. Because ultimately the solution really is very, very simple. People often say that if we were designing an education system today, um, you wouldn't start from here. And it's a cliche, but it's what's said. People always say that to me. And it's usually followed by a shrug of the shoulders as if there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. However, it always surprises me that when I ask them, do they know how we have the system under an almost monopoly of church control? Most don't seem to know why we have an entirely denominational structure. You hear things, and this is the most popular thing I've heard, is, oh, look, the, do you know, when Ireland was kind of in its infancy, the state couldn't afford to run schools, and the church came in like knights in shining armour in a completely altruistic way to educate the poor children of Ireland, and we owe them for that, they'll always say. And we can't forget that, they'll always say. But this is, of course, nonsense. Absolute nonsense. There was nothing altruistic about the arrangement uh, of the churches swooping in to educate the children of Ireland, but it suited 
the 1930s vision of Ireland who were carving an identity of an Irish um, state uh, uh, away from British Protestant control, Church of England control, God save the Queen and all that, to a Catholic country. A Catholic Ireland was very important in the 1930s. And the 1930s were a really interesting time, really, in my opinion, they were a really interesting time because around this time, Ireland was indeed a very poor country. But we had a ridiculous number of schools at the time. Ridiculous. Over 6,000 primary schools at that time. Uh, Potentially about 8,000 schools, I think, uh, in the very early part of the 1930s. So it was a time where the government were forcing schools to amalgamate. Okay, so the government were forcing schools to amalgamate. Now, if the church really had that much power, why were the government forcing schools to amalgamate? It wouldn't have mattered if the church were running these schools and funding these schools. They obviously weren't because the government uh, couldn't afford to have all these schools, so they forced them to amalgamate. And for those of you who still are fixated on the myth that the church was funding the education system, I mean, that alone should put pay to your arguments. However, we have to go back a hundred years before the 1930s to the year 1831, when the modern Irish education system as we know it began, and it began with a letter. And if you've studied the history of the Irish education system, as many of you have, you'll remember it as the Stanley Letter. The most important message of this letter is well known in Irish education circles, but it was that the Irish education system was to be non-denominational. Non-denominational, not multi, non-denominational. Students were not to be proselytised, uh, I can never say that word, is a proselytised, yeah, proselytised in any faith, and that children would be educated together. And there is no pun meant it in, in that way, because educate together, I suppose, in a way, use that statement or that letter as a template, that children of all faiths and none would be educated together. Now, it would be very naive of me to suggest that this letter was in any way altruistic either. If I'm given out about the churches not being altruistic by taking over the schools, the Stanley letter, if we really look into it, wasn't altruistic either. Many laud the Stanley letter as a being ahead of its time, and I've heard that being said. Look at the Stanley Letter. It was ahead of his time. It was, it was uh, promoting a non-denominational system. What the, what the heck happened? However, the thing is, the reality, and this is more likely. Now, I'm not an historian, but I would be very surprised if this wasn't the actual reality. It's more likely that educating all children together was, a, was an intention to dampen any nationalism that might well have been happening in Catholic hedge schools and to control the messaging that was going to children. Ireland was under British control at the time and education in a way is about control and I'm fairly sure the Irish language wasn't going to be part of this education system for example and I think one would really have to be very naive to think that the British Empire planning a non-denominational education 
education system was an altruistic, an altruistic endeavor either. Education is a very powerful tool to control how the next generation are going to turn out. And we know this now. Um, you know, some of you are probably planning your child's communion and you probably don't even believe in God, but you're just doing it because it's what's always being done. And you don't really think about it because you were educated in a, situ- in a system that saw this as completely normal. Even though if you were an alien coming down onto the planet Earth and you looked at communion and you saw eight-year-old girls wearing wedding dresses because that's what they are, they're wearing wedding dresses, uh, you would be going, what is going on here? In the same way as many of you look at child brides in countries in the east of, uh, of the world, in the eastern world, and saying, what is going on? It's interesting, the education system is about control and we know that and I mean that's that's fair enough and wasn't it the head of the Jesuits that said give me the boy and I'll give you the man the implication of course is that the best opportunity to indoctrinate a person in a lifetime of belief and devotion to any dogma whether religious or nationalist or whatever is to get them when they're young I'd certainly, um, I mean, I, 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 I mean, I'm not giving, I mean, I can't give out particularly. I mean, I'm, I'm not someone who can say, oh, well, I never had that. Look at me. I'm, I, I never had that experience. I had exactly that experience. I definitely would have experienced that in my own schooling. Now, as many of you know, listening to this podcast, I didn't go to a Catholic school. I didn't go to a Church of Ireland school. I was one of those people that went to uh, one of the minority schools, the Jewish school in, um, in Ireland, where I was provided with faith formation every single school day of my 14 years to ensure that I believed in Jewish dogma. Every day for 14 years, Monday to Friday during term time, I said prayers to a God that I had absolutely no doubt existed and I learned uh, the Hebrew language, which would help me uh, to learn more of the Bible stuff. I learned all the laws of Judaism and they were all absolutely normal to me. And on top of that, on top of that, in my school and in many Jewish schools, I don't know about internationally, but certainly in the Jewish school I went to, when I was, uh, even from a very young age, Zionism was taught to me from a very young age too. Now, I, I would always separate Judaism from Zionism, but in this case, I was. I mean, I can't, I can't deny I was taught Zionism as truth from a very young age too. And I'm 99% sure that much like you as a Catholic, or saying that you're a Catholic or purporting to be a Catholic, would put your, child, your, your, your young daughter in a, in a, in a, in a white uh, a sort of child-sized wedding dress and you don't really think about it, I would say 99% uh, of my Jewish classmates, did they ever question anything that they were taught, maybe about Zionism? And I don't want to labour the point too much, but I think many people who look at Zionism outside of Judaism can see it for what it is. And as an aside, I remember the first time I did question my teacher about the Jewish teaching I was taught. They were talking, you know, it was all about God created the world 5,000 odd years ago. And I mean, you know, it's, it's nothing, look, it was nothing groundbreaking and it's totally the first question you probably asked when you were, when you ever doubted religion, if you ever doubted your religion, you probably said, but if God created the world 5,000 years ago, how come, what about the dinosaur? You know, that kind of boring question that you ask when you're 10. Yeah, well, I was that child and I asked that when I was 12 and I only remember it. Uh, really because I was 12 and I fancied a girl in my class who was really unimpressed with the fact that I'd questioned the teacher. I I don't know, I'm not really sure what I'm telling you this. Anyway, don't let 
a pre-teenage crush get in your way of seeking the truth, kids? That's my message, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, what I'm trying to say really is faith formation, no matter what type of school it is, or indoctrination, no matter what type of religious school it is, is all about is all about making sure that you believe what you're being told is the truth. And I'm not saying that as a negative, really, particularly, because, you know, that's okay <laughs> if that's what you believe. Um, it's just the problem in Ireland is that we are not, um, we are not a Catholic country, we're not a Christian country. We are a secular republic, which means that we should not be promoting a religion over another. Anyway, the history of why the vast majority of schools are under Catholic patronage is well covered in previous episodes of this podcast. But in a very, very few sentences, once the state became independent of the British Empire, the churches began eating up control of the vast number of schools that were on offer, over 8,000 in the south of Ireland alone. And over the coming 40-odd years, children either went to a Catholic school or a Protestant school. However, interestingly to me at least, is that faith formation was very separate to secular education, in theory, at the time. And if you weren't the same faith as the patron of the school, you could skip the religion classes. Now, some of you might remember the former radio presenter George Hook, um, a name you probably haven't heard for a little while, talking about the Jews that went to his school in Cork and how he was really jealous of them because they got a longer lunch break than him because he had to do his religion class and they were allowed to not attend those classes or opt out of those classes and go home for their lunch. Now, while no one could, one could never have described Ireland as liberal in the 1960s, one wouldn't have thought that in the middle of this flower power era, a law was put in the constitution which has had far-reaching effects on making Irish schools even more conservative than they were before the 1960s. And in 1965, for absolutely no good reason in my view, Article 44.4, which discussed schools under the management of different religious denominations, in inverted commas, which added new rules, which declared that the state, uh, the state, and I'm quoting, gives explicit recognition to the denominational character of primary schools. Which is an amazing thing to think. Only happened in 1965. Before then, secular education happened separately to religious education. And during religious education, this is the faith formation part, children who were not of that faith did not take part. And secular education was completely secular. Religion did not impose itself into the secular education, into the curriculum. These days, because of that rule, the ethos permeates the entire school day. So, for example, this is why something like RSC, Relationships and Sexual Education, has a Catholic flavour in a Catholic school, which is why you can't teach about same-sex uh, relationships. You can't talk about sex outside of a marriage between a man and a woman and things like that. Only since 1965. Not since the 1920s, 1930s, which some people would view or would say. But this uh, one change in 1965 paved the way in 1971, even even nearer to our modern times, uh, for the Department of, uh, of Education under uh, someone called Porrick Faulkner, who issued new rules for primary education that basically religion was to permeate the whole curriculum. That is, that a and I'm quoting, a religious spirit should inform and vivify the whole work of the school, known now as Rule 68, since abolished but in, th in theory, but still 
uh, working, it's it happening in all denominational schools. So for Ireland, moving into the 1970s with the beginnings of the civil rights movement, this law effectively closed the door on any child whose family did not want them receiving any form of faith formation. This was sort of until 1978 when Educate Together was born, which gave Irish families some form of education system and somewhat free from indoctrination. Not completely, but somewhat free from indoctrination eventually. However, even Educate Together had to wait until 2016, 2016 folks, for Rule 68 to be revoked by the government to stop religion being promoted by law. Yes, I have to say that again, 2016. Because up until 2016, religion had to be promoted by law. This is why you would have heard of Educate Together schools celebrating uh, faiths, celebrating festivals and things like that of different faiths. Also, just as a, as a related to this in 2016, because 2016 was an important year in education, Ireland's education system was featured on the front pages of the New York Times after a woman called Nikki Murphy was unable to get her son into any of her local primary schools because he wasn't baptised. The embarrassing, now, I mean, it was always embarrassing, but the now embarrassing baptism barrier, which was, uh, which became a driver for the next few years in the battle for equality in education, um, happened as a result of that. But let's reverse back. Slow down, Simon. Let's reverse back half a decade to the um, Patronage and Pluralism Forum and what problems were trying to be resolved by it when it began its work in 2011. And I'm going to just read the three um, things that Rory Quinn uh, put uh, as the challenges or the terms of references, as he put, in the forum. And I might stop after I do that because I have a lot to say about the first one. So I'm going to read them just so you can uh, hear them. So Rory Quinn set out the terms of reference for the forum to advise them as possible. This was in 2011 when they began. One how this forum can best be ensured that the education system can provide a sufficiently diverse number and range of primary schools catering for all religions and none. I have a lot to say about this and I think the next part of this episode will focus on this point alone. Number two, the practicalities of how transfer or divestment or divesting of patronage should operate for individual primary schools in communities where it is appropriate and necessary. And three, linked to this, how such transfer and divesting can be advanced to ensure that demands for diversity of patronage, including from an Irish language perspective, can be identified and met on a widespread basis nationally. Now, I will get into, um, I'm going to, what I'm going to, I think my plan really has to be because I, I'm, um, I'm aware that this is, could be quite lengthy. Um, I'm probably going to uh, talk about point number one in an entire episode, so a, a, an entire part of this episode, and then parts two and three I'm going to do separately in a third part of this episode. So you can consider this uh, part as a sort of a history lesson, uh, setting the terms of reference for this episode. Um, 
And um, I, I mean, what I will say is uh, point one is all going to be about choice because that's what it's about. And points two and three is about the idea of uh, divestment and what that meant, what that means uh, and so on. And then this idea uh, in point three about the Irish language being part of this divestment thing, because that's an interesting um, sideshow as well, which kind of does have to be tackled. Now, I would argue that this plan was doomed to failure from the very start, as we'll see. And it all stems really from the very first point, because the forum took the notion that we should have a sufficiently diverse range of choices for parents. And I'm going to need to spend a lot of time, a bit of time, I won't spend too long, on why the concept of choice isn't a good idea when it comes to primary education and why it's a complete misnomer as well that I argue, and I've argued this before, why choice actually doesn't happen in reality in Ireland. So I think that's a good point to pause as we hit the near enough to the half an hour mark of this first part of our 10 year anniversary of the Forum on Patronage and Pluralism. And if I were the Minister for Education, how I would be bringing uh, the Forum back for a 10 year anniversary and how we would reform the Forum. So that is part one. I kind of thought I'd do a little bit more than I did in the end, but I felt actually I needed to, uh, my script wasn't that long, but I felt I needed to expand on some of the points I'd written in my script, as uh, which brought us to about the, the half hour mark. Um, so uh, you can consider this sort of your introduction uh, to um, the uh, uh, the celebration or the anniversary of this forum and patronage uh, and pluralism uh uh, background. Sorry about the noise in the background. I'm, I'm actually recording this in school. We have an after-school club here and they're actually kind of outside my window uh, here, uh, which is kind of um, uh, a bit annoying. Uh, but uh, I hope it hasn't uh, been too distracting. Actually, the, voice, the sounds of children playing is quite a nice uh, sound, I suppose, uh, to have as a background. Um, I think uh, I generally record these uh, in the afternoons, uh, where, uh, usually on a Friday afternoon uh, in school, but uh, when, when everyone's gone home. But uh, it just so happens that they're actually very close to my window tonight, uh, today. So listen, I will uh, leave it there. Uh, if you've enjoyed this uh, podcast episode, uh, please uh, subscribe uh, to it. I always, um, it's always good to have new uh, people listening to the uh, to the episodes. Um, I you can listen to it on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, all the rest of them. Um, and please feel free to review uh, the podcast if you wouldn't mind. It helps other people find us more easily. Um, so that's it for now. Uh, we'll catch you in a few days with part two where I talk about choice part three will all be about divestment I think and uh, part four might be uh, if we get to a part four I might not need a part four uh, will be all about what I would do if I were the Minister for Education uh, to conclude uh, I hope you've enjoyed it as I said but until next time thanks for listening goodbye goodbye